This is the Fedora Chronicles News of the Week for February 15th, 2020. Dog-faced pony soldiers for Bloomberg. Answering a text message from Donna from New Hampshire for Warren, the inevitability of Roger Stone's pardon or being Epstein, or both, the craziness of the DNC primary so far, and how some voters are fawning for Mike Bloomberg, who bought his way into his surge in the polls despite being a hardcore conservative until five minutes ago, and the endless elder abuse of Joe Biden. Commentary on pop culture and current events through the perspective of film snobs and diesel punks, with topics ranging from true crime to the paranormal. You can now listen to our podcast on Apple's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If your favorite podcast service or app doesn't have the Fedora Chronicles radio show, let us know and we'll fix it right away. On behalf of my co-host, Jason Cousineau, and myself, Eric Reiner-King-Fisk, Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. I didn't fucking jam off a message to Donna because I don't think Donna's coming on the show. Yeah, I'm guessing she's probably not. Do we want to start off with the um, text message from... Donna with NH for Warren. Do we even want to talk about Donna and what she had um, said about our podcast? I don't know. There's so much other more interesting things to talk about than a Warren supporter who thinks we're right-wing extremists who do have no interest in hearing what the other side has to say, in spite of the fact that we've both stated we would be willing to vote for Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can... She's such a wildfire-brand conservative in the Democrat Party. Let's just give this, because I already started recording. Let's just give this... Okay. Five five minutes. Set the timer. If we go over Would five, do you minutes, really think we're capable of five minutes? No, 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 no. I don't need. No. Okay, all right. So the Continue thing is, on then. so Mon- so Monday night for our listeners, I get a text message from a woman. Her name is Donna, and she's with NH for Warren. And she had said Elizabeth has the broadest coalition of support of any candidate. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, how can you take that seriously? I'm sorry. Let me see if I can read that again without laughing. Elizabeth has the broadest coalition of support of any candidate. I can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it. She's already beaten an an incumbent Republican senator, and next she's going to beat Trump. (laughs) Who was the incumbent Republican senator she beat? Mitt Romney, who quit? I think think it was... Before his term was up? I think it was Scott Brown. Oh, it yeah, might, I forgot about yeah, Scott Yeah, I mean, anybody could beat Scott Brown. Any liberal no. could beat Scott Brown. I'm First not, of all, it's a Republican senator in the state of Massachusetts. Right, So you right, can draw your own conclusions right. from there. Um, will you join us at the polls and vote for Elizabeth tomorrow? <laughs> well, the answer to that is clearly no, because first of all, I didn't have polls to go to. Right, right. Um, and second of all, she didn't build that. Exactly. Somebody else made that happen. And I, yeah. and here's what I do. She didn't that, build a coalition. What no. What is she talking about? Ex- What's she claiming? Yes. I mean, she, and, and Elizabeth Warren does not have a, a, a broad support. She doesn't have, she does not have the broadest coalition of support of any candidate. She simply doesn't. She simply doesn't. I mean, if, if, if Bernie Sanders never ran, a campaign this time around that might have been true 
but you look at the but Bernie clearly has a broader range of support. right, right, and um, and here's what I do, or here's here's what I've done for the past three months. When I get texts from from people like this, I invite them on the show. Mm-hmm. Or I said, are, are you lo- are you looking to come on our podcast, News of the Week with Jason Cousineau, to talk about your candidate? And inevitably, things go sideways quickly. And the thing is, is like, and I have responded, hi, Donna, are you looking to get yourself or Liz Warren on our podcast? And she responds, I'm a texting volunteer. Have I reached a number of somebody who has a podcast? Of course. <laughs> yes, indeed. What's the name? As a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, and here here on my cell phone, I already have the text written out, ready to go, copy paste, boom, there you go. Bob's your uncle. Or Bob's mm-hmm. my uncle. I gave her the name of the podcast. And of course she goes and she, of course, like any anybody, anybody with an IQ larger than room temperature would go and look and see obviously what kind of person I am or what kind of people we are and what kind of show that we have. Right. That would be logical. And, and of course she scanned down and she saw the (laughs) unflattering cover photo that I created for the show page where we talked about Bernie Sanders basically lying about what Bernie Sanders said to Elizabeth her in Warren. private. I don't, I don't, and, and I stand by this, Jay. Mm-hmm. I stand by this and say, I don't believe for a minute Bernie Sanders said a woman could not be president. If he said anything to Elizabeth Warren, I think he probably said, I don't think you could be the first woman president, and here are the reasons why. Pocahontas. Right. And as, as I, I said, I think at the time, I think he probably said something more along the lines of it will be much harder for a woman to become president in the yes. United States because yes. of ABCD, XYZ. Right, exactly. And I think that he was perfectly honest where he had had said that you're not going to win over the deepest of red conservative states for various reasons. Oh, yeah, she is. And, and to be honest, neither is Bernie. Bernie's not going to have much support in any of the deep red states. No. I don't. Th- I don't think so. But the thing is, is that that's that that's neither here nor there. And the the thing that really sort of surprised me about what Donna had said, and and I and I quote, I did a quick check of the listed topics, and it seems like you are covering the same crazy conspiracy theories propounded by the GOP. So we're GOP conspiracy theorists is basically what Donna had accused us of being. Now, let me right. ask you something. Name. Well, no, go ahead. You go ahead. Now, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Okay. Because my thing is this, is far as I know, we're not using any crazy GOP talking points. No. Um, but on the other hand, if you're not willing to talk to people who have those and think maybe you can change your mind. Maybe you're not that confident in your message. I don't think she, I don't think Donna was really that confident with Elizabeth Warren, or she would have said, "Oh, sure, I'd love to come on your show and talk about how you guys are all wrong about Elizabeth Warren." Name a a podcast hosted by GOP operatives 
that has a running gag about Donald Trump's obsession with Jay's soft hands. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, there's not a whole lot of GOP operatives that talk about my soft hands. I'm proud of my soft hands. I <laughs> I'm an artist, damn it. The hell? But, I mean, but stop and think about it. I mean, yeah. we, we make a lot of jokes about Trump disparaging Donald Trump. And I think that they are sometimes brutal and mean spirited, but they're deserved. Yeah. And just by going through the long list of episodes that we've done over the course of the history of the Fedora Chronicles, I don't think that we've ever once said that we're, we are in the tank for Donald Trump. I think that we've been. In fact, I think seem to recall both you and I saying that we have not voted for Donald Trump and will not vote for Donald exactly. Trump. Exactly. I mean, I don't think we're never Trumpers, but I honestly don't think that we're we're definitely not in the tank for him. Right. That's not. Yeah. So that's just that's a loss. That's just that's just crazy. It is. And she and she got upset with me accusing Elizabeth Warren of astroturfing. And and then here's I mean astroturfing is is manufacturing a grassroots campaign, whereas she right. says, "Hey, he, here's here's a picture of all of our supporters wearing Warren wear, displaying their Warren wear proudly." And they were just nothing but pictures of her staffers. They're not regular people. They're just her staffers. And that's a that's a form of astroturfing, trying to manufacture a grassroots organization or grand grand roots popularity. Yeah. Because it comes off as fake. We've talked about this before. And we, and we talked about that. And um, Donna from New Hampshire seemed really upset at the way that we've gone after Elizabeth Warren. The question that I have for you, not just Jay, but our listeners, am I not supposed to point out to you that this, this politician has done something bad? This politician is doing something that I think is wrong. I think this this politician is just a bad person. I have a podcast. We have a series called News of the Week. What am I supposed to do with that information? What am I supposed to do about my um, commentary on politicians who do bad things? Am I not supposed to say bad things about Elizabeth Warren simply because she's a woman running as a Democrat? Am I not allowed to well, say what? See, I feel two ways about that. First of all, um, equality is realizing that you're going to get good and negative and you deserve to get good and negative because just like everyone else, you're human and therefore fallible. Right. Also, people are entitled to their opinion and they may not theirs may not agree with yours. Right. So I'm not allowed to have an opinion about Elizabeth Warren because sometime sometime down the the road in the future somebody like Donna is going to get upset because I gored one of her sacred cows on our podcast. Right. That seems yeah. I mean we're going to do that. That's kind of what we do. Right. We both like to eat meat. 
Cows <laughs> taste pretty damn good when they're medium rare. Yep. Goes to perfection. Just the right seasoning. I'm getting hungry. Just a little salt and pepper and garlic salt. You're all set. Oh, yeah. Got to have the garlic, though. Got to have the garlic. You got to. Maybe so... a touch of butter on the top to just kind of hold it all together. Exactly. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> I can't do this when I'm on a diet. Stop it. <laughs> um, but there, like, another fine example. Josh from um, Joe Biden's camp would not come on the podcast and talk about his support for Joe Biden. And I asked supporters of, of, of Joe Biden, Pete Butterkeg, and Elizabeth Warren to come on the podcast and, exp- and tell us about your support of your candidate. I didn't, off, I didn't extend the same offer to Tulsi supporters because I think that we basically... I think yeah, that we, we were kind of in the tank for it. We're kind of in the tank, and and we didn't want to, we did not want to make this the Tulsi Gabbard Fedora Chronicles radio show any more right. than it already is. Right. None of these people wanted to come on our podcast. Now, does that say something about us, or does that say something about them? Uh, I want to say it says something about them, but. I'm being honest. I'm not sure. Because you know what I mean. Because one of the things that really sort of like I'm not sure if it hurt so much, but it stung a little, is Donna's criticism of our podcast. And I think that we've and she uh, she said that she was afraid that we were going to get her on the podcast and make fun of her, and try to ridicule her on our podcast. Have we done anything, anything at all? to give people the impression that that is something that we would do to our guests on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we are not interested in embarrassing anyone who is willing to come on our podcast. Absolutely we, not. It doesn't matter, even if it's someone we disagree with most of their political opinions, like Elizabeth Warren, we don't want her to come on so we can ambush her. We don't want to try and make her look bad. I want to know if we're going to talk to someone on air, I want to know why they deserve my vote. Right. I do not necessarily agree with you, but you have an opportunity to come here and try and convince me that you're worth voting for. Right. You may or not be able to do that, but you deserve a chance to do that. And if you're not willing to talk to people who are on the other side and willing to have their minds changed, what does that say? I think that says more about them than it does about us. But but it still hurts though a little because it, I think it does. That... It stings a little bit. But at the same time, it's also I can kind of understand in today's environment why they wouldn't be willing to right. do that. We could very honestly be lying through our teeth and just trying to be, you know, just using whatever excuse possible to get them on here so we can say in 1967 you said this, you know, or right. pull some shit out like that. Right, and that's not right. Right. And one of the you know. things, one of the things that she had said that I think that really sort of like stung. Um, Rush Limbaugh liked to invite people who disagreed with him so that he could make fun of them and call them names. Yeah, but we're not Rush Limbaugh. And I we're said, not ditto heads. Right. So I don't know what to say about that. I really don't. And the thing is, is that um, I think that. I think that we're going to leave the invitation for Donna open. And not just Donna, anybody. 
just, you know, here's the thing. You could email me at fedorachronicle at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter or Facebook. Just do a search of Fedora Chronicles. It's not hard to find Eric Fisk from the Fedora Chronicles. Reach me via social media, email me, and and if you want to be uh, if you want to be a, a caller and want to talk to us about what we have said and what we're wrong and what you know what we got right, if you agree with us, if you want to just talk about any of the topics that we cover, you're more than welcome to join us on the podcast. And I'm telling you right now, we will not make fun of you the way Donna from New Hampshire thinks that we would have. And it was just like, I, I, I'm, I'm actually a little sad and a little hurt that she actually thought that we would do that to her. Yeah. And I was like, what, what have we done wrong to give her that kind of impression? Now, granted, she just sort of skimmed our SoundCloud page. Which is doing exceptionally well, by the way. Not nice. to not to brag or not. I mean, the thing is, is that shows that I, I that I didn't have time to promote. People have listened to just cause, I because they think that we have a great product, and I don't think our listeners tune in to hear us disembowel people on our podcast. I mean, I do think that they like to listen to some of our snarky, snarky, funny remarks about Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle, but who doesn't? Yep. All right. So I think that maybe, maybe just leave that open, leave that open-ended. And Donna, if you are listening, and I will be sending you a link to this podcast, you are still welcome to come on the podcast and tell us what we got wrong about Elizabeth Warren. Speaking of, right. uh, do we want to talk about the New Hampshire primary from the perspective of somebody who was actually there? <laughs> you know, I I was actually going to ask you about that, but yeah. Well, here's a question for you: Who is Amy Klobuchar? Um, who, who allegedly came in is, third? I know she's a Democratic presidential candidate. I haven't seen a whole lot or heard a whole lot of advertising for her. Of course, she doesn't have the kind of funds that Michael Bloomberg does, you right. know, that self-made man and champion of the poor because he understands what they're going through, Michael Bloomberg. And at least that's what his advertising tells me. Right. But on the, other than that, I really honestly don't know that much about her. I really don't. I haven't looked into her at all. Um, I, I Well, that's not entirely true. I looked into her a little right. bit. Like when it was the gang of 27 or whatever that right. were running. Um, I looked into all of the candidates just a little bit and to see who exactly was running. You know, I, I actually looked into Joe Biden because it's possible that I had an impression that is in, incorrect. And so I looked at each one of their, the candidates page. I looked into what, what's her name? Marianne, um, Elizabeth Warren. Right. You know, Deval Patrick, even though it was governor of the state I lived in for a while. I right. looked into him anyway. Yeah, so. So here's here's where Amy Klobuchar and the controversy with CNN is going to connect, okay? The, I think it was, it was the Friday before the New Hampshire primary. CNN had a town hall. 
and everybody was invited, including Deval Patrick and Michael Bloomberg, but not Tulsi Gabbard. Amy Globisher was there, and apparently during this town hall, she did an amazing job. She just stated her case, this is who I am, this is why I'm running for president. People saw this and they were thought and they thought, "Wow, she's awesome. I'm going to go vote for her." Apparently, people here in New Hampshire changed their minds or made up their minds mere days before the primary. And that's what we have a habit of doing here in New Hampshire. Right, which is one of the reasons why the New Hampshire primary is important in the race. It's not just cuz it's early. Right. And as a state, New Hampshire can go either way. Right. And so many of us here in New Hampshire like to go on the weekend and listen to these people speak. Perfect example. Almost all of the candidates that were running for um, running for the, the nomination were literally within two mile radius of my house. In the last three months. Yeah. And I'm not one of them wanted to talk to us. Well, would you want to talk to us? I mean, we can't even. I mean, that's a fair point. I mean, you look, you look at our catalog of podcasts. Do you want to be the presidential? And we talked about this during our paranormal special that is, that went online Friday mid afternoon um, on Valentine's day. We talked about this a little bit because we talk about the paranormal. And if you go on our Twitter page, what are the topics that we cover? We cover the we cover the paranormal, true crime, and conspiracy theories. We talk about some crazy things. Like, um, and I'm kind of like thinking that I think that we want to be the Adam and Dr. Drew of the paranormal realm. Yeah. I, I think that that's, that's the vibe that we're going for. And... I think that you would be crazy if you were ahead in the polls or you were doing well in the polls and you sat down with a bunch of guys who honestly believe something something extraordinary happened in Roswell, New Mexico. I said Roswell, New Mexico. You um, didn't, but we'll let it go. We'll let that. it go. We'll, we we'll will not make fun of my speech impediment. Not even at all. And I got a pair of big brass balls for thinking that I can have a podcast with a slight speech impediment. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> we both agree. This is why I always have a shot of the Kraken before we do this. That way there, I know that if I'm going to fuck up, it's going to be big. It's going to be a good one. That's and, right. And, and and by the way, it's 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 9:22 a.m. on the East Coast, Jay, and you're already hitting the Kraken. I'm not on the East Coast though. Well, okay, that's right, cuz it's like what? 5 o'clock in the morning over there. Well, it's <laughs> so, you know, I but mean, <laughs> I I would think I would think that unless you are somebody like Dennis Kucinich, who's already out there saying that he's pushing for full disclosure, you would go on our podcast. But at the same time, we have some very serious questions to ask somebody like Tulsi Gabbard or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or, or Pete Buttigieg some honest questions about the deep state. What's really right. going on? And each one of them is going to give you different answers, but I don't think those particular candidates, any of them, are going to be big fans of the deep state. Right. 
Um, and one of the reasons why I think that we loved Tulsi Gabbard so much is that she was willing to actually talk about, like, the deep state as a real thing. Yes, the deep state is a real thing, meaning the perpetual bureaucracy and the millionaire lobbyists who have more control over the way the country is run than the senators and the congressmen, the Supreme Justices on the Supreme Court, and the President of the United States. Tulsi Gabbard came right out and said, this is what's really going on with America, and we need to fix that and change that. Right, which is one of the reasons why you and I both really liked her. Right. Because you got to be ballsy to say that. It really does stay a lot about her. It really does, the fact that she's willing to go out and, and say, and she's not, and, and she didn't drop out of the race. One of the things that I thought was really surprising is somebody like Andrew Yang, who captured the imagination of so many people here in New Hampshire, basically ended his campaign here in New Hampshire because he didn't do well. And somebody like Amy Klobuchar, who nobody really even heard of until like maybe a couple of days ago, wound up taking third place. And I don't understand about Pete Buttigieg. I don't understand. I don't understand how he was able to get so many votes here in New Hampshire. And I've seen a few Pete 2020 signs. But, yeah, I mean, when I was up there, what, three weeks ago? Yeah. I, I got to be honest. I saw, I didn't see a whole lot of Buttigieg signs at all. I think I saw one, maybe two. Now, granted, I was driving in your area. Yeah. But I was also driving between Massachusetts and your area. So, in that, I didn't see a single Amy Klobuchar sign. I saw a number of Bernie signs. I saw a few Tulsi signs. Um, I didn't see any signs for Biden. Yeah. In Massachusetts, I saw a few Warren signs, but I didn't see any in New Hampshire. Right. That's all I can remember, at least. Yeah. Yeah, so out of nowhere. She's come up from out of nowhere. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hey, more power to her. Right, right. You know? But for me, it was shocking and surprising. And I was pleasantly surprised at yeah. how Amy Klobuchar did so well after that CNN town hall. But but, what would have happened if Tulsi was allowed to get on the stage? Now, this is the real controversy. Michael Bloomberg and Deval Patrick, especially Deval Patrick, were allowed on the CNN town hall. Tulsi Gabbard was shunned. As a matter of fact, I sent you a couple of links about this. Yeah. And and obviously, there is obviously a campaign against her by the mainstream media, especially CNN. And you look at something like that and you wonder what would have happened if Tulsi Gabbard was allowed to take the stage and say, this is what I believe. This is why I'm running for president. I honestly believe that if the people of New Hampshire 
were allowed to see Tulsi Gabbard, I think that she would have done much better. I think that she would have... I think she would have done better than A.B. Klobuchar. Yeah, but as I, as I told you, you know, the Democrat Party does not really want Tulsi Gabbard to be in the forefront. So why should their PR arm, I mean, excuse me, why should a news program like CNN that's biased and has a lot more money than we do and I don't want them to sue us, why would they want her up there as well? They, they have no reason to. Because they are, let's face it, they're in the tank for the Democrat Party. Yeah. And so what's good for the Democrat Party is what CNN is going to push. Staller is to it. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I'm not surprised they don't want her on stage, but I do wonder what how things would be different if she was allowed on stage, especially because like you said, Deval Patrick does not have the kind of support that Tulsi does. She, she has the, she has bigger numbers than, um, than Deval Patrick. Does. Right. But Deval Patrick's on the stage. Is it possibly because he's like one of he and Cory Booker are the only black people that are running? Yeah, and Cory Booker isn't running anymore. Oh, that's right. He dropped out. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. And I think that with all the controversy surrounding Tulsi Gabbard being shunned by the mainstream media, despite the fact that she has more support than the last time I checked. I mean, I might be wrong. By the time that this actually goes out on the interwebs, um, Tulsi Gabbard may not have as much support as Mike Bloomberg does. And I think that people are, I'm telling you, I think Democrats are foolish for supporting Michael Bloomberg because Mike, Michael Bloomberg has a, quote, chance of winning. And Michael Bloomberg could stand up to Trump. I think that that's garbage. People tend to forget that up until a couple of minutes ago, Michael Bloomberg was a staunch conservative slash Republican. And Michael Bloomberg instituted some policies that were very hurtful for people of color in New York State or New York City. I don't think that Michael, Michael Bloomberg is not the person Democrats think he is. And I think that that's sad. Yeah, he's also, um, he's also huge, 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 huge anti-gunner. Yes. So you've got to realize that a lot of people are both short-sighted single-issue voters and do not have very long memories so as long as no one's talking about it right then and there they're probably not going to remember it unless until someone tells tells them about it and reminds them about it yeah and even then only if they decide to um look into it you know, because a lot of people are getting very skeptical nowadays about things they hear. Right. Depending on who they hear it from. It's like you and I telling someone who's on the left that, you know, Michael Bloomberg is, um, you know, he was a horrible racist. He used to be a ultra conservative Republican. He's from a millionaire family. Right. But 
they want to listen to his anti-gun message and they listen to his advertising and they're like, no, he's a self-made man. Every, everything everything that you dislike about Donald Trump, you can find in Michael Bloomberg if you are willing to look hard enough. Right. It's the parenthetical D after his name is really the only difference between the two. And the irony of that, to me anyway, <laughs> is <laughs> Trump used to be a Democrat. That's Bloomberg the craziest used thing. used to be a Republican. That's the craziest thing. It's just... It, it's, you can't make this shit up. I, I, I think I think that somewhere, somewhere next to his bed, something like this was written down on on Rod Serling's notepad. <laughs> because Rod Serling used to wake up from dreams and write down what he dreamt, and then went back to sleep, and a lot of what he wrote. He eventually either published or became scripts for The Twilight Zone and his other TV show, Night Gallery, that people tend to forget. And I think that Rod Serling must have wrote something like this down. And then the next morning, he was like, what the hell was I thinking? And then threw it out. This is like crazy, bizarro world where liberals can look at somebody like um, Mitt Romney as a national hero and a and and an example of what a great American is after he voted yes to convict Donald Trump on of high crimes during the impeachment process. Right. And it was how many years ago was it that Mitt Romney ran against Barack Obama? During Obama's re-election campaign, when what, what was that? Was that that was 2012? 2012. No, yeah, it was 2012. 2012. Yeah. So the thing is, is like if you were a Mitt Romney supporter in you, 2012, in 2012, you were just as bad as the Donald Trump supporters are now. Oh, the things that people had said. The folder of of 47 women. Remember that, right? Like the just the horrible things that people had said about Mitt Romney and Mitt Romney supporters back in 2012. Automatically, you were assumed some kind of a racist if you yep. supported Mitt Romney. And I find that very. Is it? I don't think it's ironic, or is it? Um, there's a word I'm looking for, Jay. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know either, to be honest. I mean, the word hypocrite comes to mind, but I don't think that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Me, I don't know. I don't know, but the thing is, is that Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney was a bit of a bastard. He was. I mean, back then when he had the temerity to run against the chosen one. Yeah, I mean, what the hell? And automatically, if you know, because the thing is, is that if Mitt if Mitt Romney, now nah, yeah, if Mitt Romney wasn't such a racist, why would he be running against Barack Obama? You were considered one of the worst Americans, and people had said, "All these people with Romney signs, we're going to remember who they are when Obama wins re-election." Yeah, I remember that. I remember 
because I lived in Massachusetts at the time. I remember the um, promises of retribution. Because I remember thinking that's fucked up. Right. This is something that I find amazing. I'm not going to tell you the, the, the candidate's name or the former candidate's name. The former candidate is one of those people who had said that if you vote for Romney, you are clearly obviously a racist. You are a bad person for voting for Romney. Um, she didn't use any curse words, but she made it pretty clear of her disdain of people who voted for Romney. She posted this on February 5th at 9.37 p.m. So impressed by Senator Romney, he is the original architect of the ACA, based on the GOP plan in Massachusetts launched by then-Governor Romney, and now has shown the depth of conviction to the Constitution. May God bless him for his extraordinary courage. That's a far cry from what she had said a couple uh, years ago about Romney and Romney supporters when he was running against uh, Barack Obama. Yeah. I think that that's, I think it's shocking how people have such short memories. Now, did Romney do the right thing by voting guilty in the... In that's the a different discussion, though. That's a different discussion. That's a different discussion. I mean, the whole impeachment uh, trial, for lack of a better term, even though I don't think it's really considered a trial, whatever, um, that whole process was just rife with fuck-ups on both sides, to be honest with you, you know? Um, the popular narrative is that, well, not, whatever. I'm, right. Let's not get into that. Let's that, not, that let's be a show in and of itself. Right. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. I honestly don't know what to say about the hypocrisy of it all. And whether or not do you call people out on this or do you just move on with your life and say, that is what it is. So, yeah. Primaries. I think it's safe to say that Pete Buttigieg won Iowa, although there's a lot of questions about that. Um, but Bernie Sanders handily won in New Hampshire. I don't know what to say about this because the thing is, is that I am I am not surprised at how not surprised I am. I don't I I don't know what I don't know what to say about Bernie Sanders' win. Well, I mean, I don't. It's not that surprising to me. I would, um, I would be, and it's anecdotal based on you know when you and I were driving around trying to find the kraken. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we saw a lot of Bernie Sanders signs. Yeah, we, yeah. Pure, I, anecdotally, it was no surprise to me when I read that Bernie Sanders had won the primary in New Hampshire. Yeah, and it also was no surprise to me that I actually read that Bernie Sanders won the primary in New Hampshire within hours of the polls closing unlike Iowa where right. we had to wait a couple of days the thing the 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 thing about voting here in New Hampshire and there have been a lot of changes it used to be or i might be wrong and i'm willing to admit that i'm wrong jay i'm not i'm not i'm not the pompous villain donna from warren from nh thinks i am um i am willing to admit that i might be wrong I believed that there was a time when you could walk in on primary day and simply switch parties. You can register on the day of the election. You can register on voting day um, and choose your party then. 
I thought that you could change your party on primary day and vote for the person that you would like to see on the ballot that your favorite candidate would be up against. Like I'm sure that I thought, I was pretty sure that there were a lot of Democrats who kind of thought to themselves, well, Hillary's going to get the nomination. I want to see her run up against a real loser, somebody who she could easily beat. Like, I bet she could beat Trump. She could easily beat Trump. I believe that there were Democrats who changed party on the day of the primary and voted for Trump because they thought that Trump would be an, uh, an, an easy person to beat. For Hillary. It turns out that they must have ter- changed the rules where you, there's a cutoff, and the cutoff is in October. So the thing is, is that if you want to change parties, you have to do so. So there's October, let's see, November, December, January, February. So you have around four months before the primary, three or four months before the primary. To change your mind and, and change your registration. I thought, and we here in New Hampshire talked about how unfair it was that you could change your party affiliation the day of the primary. So mm-hmm. you can play some shenanigans. I believe they must have changed the rules. One of the persons yeah. that I spoke to, one of the volunteers, who's a mom of one of Alan's friends, had said this apparently this is a recent change. So I think it's a good thing. I think so too, because I think one of the problems with our political process is that we sabotage it every fucking chance we get. Right. At the state level. So I, so I think I think that that's I think that that that's a that's a pretty decent thing. I think that that's a good thing that they that um, that's been done to make sure that they don't have people like myself messing up the primary process. <laughs> um, right. Uh. Six Republicans here in my town alone voted for Tulsi Gabbard. Wrote actually wrote in Tulsi Gabbard on their ballot. Yeah, which, on a Republican ballot. On a Republican ballot. So I'm sure that there's I'm sure near a Tandon somewhere it says, I knew it! I knew she was a Republican! I knew it! Six people in Ridge, New Hampshire voted for her, wrote her Tulsi Gabbard's name on their Republican ballot. I knew it! I called it. You, you know right. that's what's going on. Oh yeah, there's there's someone somewhere doing that, right? And I don't know. I just have to laugh because it just it's so ridiculous. Yeah, she's a she's an avowed socialist for fuck's sake. I'm sorry, who? (laughs) (laughs) Tulsi. She's admitted that she has socialist leanings. Okay. Look on her website. All right. She's sided with Bernie on on a lot of issues. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, they're not completely in lockstep, she and Bernie, but I think she would be a good running candidate for Bernie. Yeah. Especially if he wins the uh, he wins the nomination. I yes. would love to see a Tulsi-Bernie um, ticket. And for no other reason than having to watch all of the, the, the lefties in charge of the democrat party right now having to eat crow and support the people that they did everything to screw over in this election and the last election yeah and that's me being a petty little shit that I is fully admit that but damn it i'm human and that would be so much fun to watch 
Um, I think that the the hardest part of um, the primary process is walking a line from saying what it is that you really think and what you really feel and holding back just a little because you know the other side is going to take your words and use them against you during the general election. Right. Uh, um, and we're starting to see this now. We're starting to see, because uh, the mainstream media does not want to see Bernie Sanders win the primary. No. They're doing everything that they can. Um, and they haven't, to the extent that they have never solidified their support for any candidate. Right. I mean... Obviously, in 2016, they were deep in the tank for Hillary for Clinton. And that was from the get-go. That was and from, yeah. Who doesn't realize that wasn't paying attention. Right. Um, and watching the coverage, especially from MSNBC, and how that they are trying so hard to downplay Bernie Sanders' win in Iowa... But Pete won in Iowa. Right. And then trying to downplay Bernie Sanders' win in uh, here in New Hampshire. I think that that is very telling. I think that if you, if you believe in the concept of the deep state. Right. This is evidence on full display right this now. This is evidence on full display that the mainstream media, MSNBC and CNN, they already have a winner. They already know who they want to win. And they think that, for whatever reasons, they don't like Bernie Sanders. And I think that a lot of them, especially Chris Matthews, believe that Bernie Sanders did everything that he could to make sure that Hillary did not win. Even yeah. though Bernie Sanders bit the bullet, put on his big boy pants, and supported Hillary as much as he possibly could. And he, that was after he'd received that phone call from Donna, Donna Brazil. And he did everything that he could he because was a good little soldier. He was a good little soldier and did what he could to help beat Donald Trump. And he showed and despite what Hillary Clinton had said, he showed up to I'm not sure how many rallies did he actually show up to. But it was it was quite a few rallies to support Hillary Clinton. Um, I don't know why they want Pete Buttigieg to win, other than the fact that he is a darling of the deep state, corporate executives, and other rich and famous people who own wine caves. <laughs> um, and there's a reason why. So many liberals call him Wall Street Pete. And as a matter of fact, he was booed off the stage here in New Hampshire by people who were chanting Wall Street Pete. Um, I don't want to, I do not want to make a prediction because the thing is, is that it is very early in the political game. But I do... Right. I, a lot that can happen between now and, and November. I think that I would be an idiot not to make a prediction and say that they, meaning the mainstream media, especially MSNBC and CNN, are going to pull out all the stops and they are going to 
drudge up all the things that Bernie Sanders has said in the realm of politics for the past 40 years and do everything that they can to destroy Bernie Sanders and give the nomination to Pete Buttigieg. Or maybe even Joe Biden. I, I, I don't see how Joe Biden can survive much longer. I, I, yeah, I mean, how much, how much of the vote did Biden get in um, um, Iowa? Because I know he was, he was wasn't even. I don't think he was even in the top five. Was he in the top five in New Hampshire? I don't. I, if he was, he was like number five. It it was so bad. The shellacking, as Joe Biden likes to call it. Joe Joe Biden left even before the votes were counted here in New Hampshire. That's how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, he knew he wasn't he wasn't doing well up there. You know, and I mean, on one hand, there's a part of me that's like, hey, kudos to you for realizing it's a lost cause. Yes. You know, but on the other hand, there's also a part of me that's like, why did he lose New Hampshire? Was it because he didn't spend time there? Was it because his message fell flat? Was it because of all of the flyers that you and I paid thousands of dollars to have circulated <laughs> to people showing him molesting people as they're, talk as they're on stage talking next month? I mean... <laughs> There's a lot of possibilities here. That's all I'm saying. Joe Biden came in fifth place. So he was he was the fifth. He came he came in fifth. And it so was he did it, third it, and I thought he was. And it, and it and the thing is it was embarrassingly bad how he came in fifth place with all the free press Joe Biden got here in New Hampshire. Well, not only that, but he also Let's be honest, he was the favorite up until, what, four weeks ago? Until, like, the week or two yeah. before Iowa, he was the favorite to win in Iowa, and he was going to get the nod, and... Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Um, there, there were a couple of gaffes. Perfect example. It's Joe Biden. He's the king of gaffes. But the thing is, is that he crossed a, a couple of lines. Only a couple. Well. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I'll, I'll stop. Well, because the thing is, is that um, Joe Biden called a student, a, a female student, a lying dog-faced pony soldier at a rally. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Future political candidates pay attention. I wonder. That's not a good idea. I want to see if I can play this clip here. That's very soothing background. Thank you. Is that what you used to go to sleep at night? No, this is actually Alexa sad. Um, so you're arguably the candidate with the greatest advantage in this race. You've been the vice president. You weren't burdened down by the impeachment trials. So, or in the participation. So how do you explain the performance in Iowa and why should the voters believe that you can win the national election? Uh -oh. It's a good question. That Number is a one, good question. I was a democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a lying dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a little bit confusing in Iowa, number one. But let's assume it was all 
everything was exactly right in Iowa. The idea that you come in with about half the, can, half the delegates that the leaders come in with in Iowa does not necessarily say how you're going to win Pennsylvania. In the participation, so how do you again. explain the performance in the national election? Number one, I was a Democratic caucus. You ever been to a caucus? No, you haven't. You're a line dog-faced pony soldier. You said you were, but you're, you're, now you got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. And there's people laughing in the background when he says it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the thing is, here's the thing is, she looks like my cousin or my niece. Oh, really? She looks like, she looks like my, she looks like, she looks like she could have been my cousin or my niece. So the idea that he called a girl a, <laughs> a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Which, I mean, as far as insults go, you've got to admit, Joe Biden's right up there. That's, he's, yeah. He's, he, he pulls some shit out that I just kind of sit back and go, I don't know where the hell that came from. I don't even know what that means. And I'm not even really sure if that's English, but okay. Yeah. I cannot see how you can watch somebody like Joe Biden make comments like that and still expect him to do well on the debate stage with Donald Trump, who is, say whatever it is you want to say about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a savage, cold-blooded killer when it comes to verbal sparring. He oh, yeah. he is vicious and he's brutal and he's cruel. And, and he, he has a terminal case of don't give a fuck. He really does. And I believe that somebody like Donald Trump, I believe that Donald Trump could goad somebody like Joe Biden or goad somebody like Elizabeth Warren to lose their shit on the debate stage one-on-one and it caused them to lose the campaign. I know well, that there are people who are going to vote for whoever the party elects uh, or right. appoints as the... Uh, They're um, going to be good little dog-faced pony soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> who, whoever the DNC nominates, they're going to vote for in the general election. Yeah. The problem is the swing voters, the independent voters, the people who will wait until the last minute to actually make up their mind on who they're going to vote for. Okay? Right. You see you see somebody like Donald Trump cause somebody like Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren to lose their temper on the debate stage if they become the party. That's it. It's over. You're done. Well, it, correct it, me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that... In the debates between he and Hillary, I seem to recall, and I could be misremembering yeah. this, I seem to recall he got her wound up about something at one point. Yeah. And they they didn't they had like one more debate after that and that was it. They right. didn't have any more debates. Because she didn't want to get on stage with him. Right. Or I'm assuming she didn't want to get on stage with him because there's no you know, she's going to say, of course, I, I, I would have welcomed another opportunity to take him apart again, like I right. did the previous three times. But he got her round up about something, and she came across 
non-presidential. Right. Which is saying something when you're comparing that to Donald Trump, because of all the presidents we've had who engage in non-presidential behavior, I mean, Trump's, he's probably number one on that list. So, yeah. But uh, as I recall anyway, there was something like that that happened. I don't remember exactly the circumstances for it. And of course, you know, it being Hillary Clinton, and this is going to sound very conspiratorial, but fuck it. The media downplayed her reaction to it, but I remember watching it live and thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not going to play well for her. Yeah. There's a lot of things that um, people need to realize that when it comes to nominating somebody, somebody is actually going to have to take the debate stage and answer questions from the audience and answer questions from the, mo the, the, the moderator or the moderators right. of these debates with Donald Trump there. Donald Trump is a mean-spirited, intimidating character. Yes. And I don't think that anybody on the stage, anybody who is running could actually stay up on the debate stage and keep calm and cool and answer the questions the way somebody like Tulsi Gabbard. Because Tulsi Gabbard's seen combat. And I don't mean to keep plugging Tulsi Gabbard. I'm not saying this to say, say I'm not trying to say this to win votes for Tulsi Gabbard. I'm saying this because to scare the shit out of some liberals out there who may still be listening to this podcast. I don't think that anybody who is running for the nomination could actually remain on the debate stage and not lose their shit or look like a timid little animal with the likes of Donald Trump. And that's, to be fair, that's a fine balance. Right. I mean... Donald Trump is a very difficult person to debate against for a number of reasons. Number right. one on the list is that he's such a narcissist. He can turn anything you say negative into a positive for him right. in his own mind and do it so convincingly that people who are more inclined to side with him are going to take his side. Right. It's a very difficult thing to overcome because you're not dealing with reality at that point. You're dealing with someone's perception of reality, and you're never going to be able to change that or shake that. So it's not necessarily a failing on any candidates, of any of the candidates, that that's a difficult thing to do. It's just a fact that debating someone like that is difficult because of that. And you have to realize that. Um, you also have to realize that the majority of the voting public is not going to give a shit or pay any attention to that. They're not going to realize that. Right. So as much as I don't like Trump, you have to admit that he starts off any debate with an advantage because of that. You know, because he's not dealing with the same reality everyone else is. Right. Just by sheer freaking hubris, really. So, I, I genuinely think that somebody like Pete Buttigieg or Pete Buttigieg 
however it's pronounced. However it's pronounced. I think that he is going to look like a scared, timid little boy with a, like deer caught in the headlights when he finally has to take the debate stage with, with Donald Trump. I think that the minute Donald Trump says, okay, Pocahontas, to Elizabeth, oh, yeah. Elizabeth Warren. And you know he's going to. And you know he's going to. She's going to lose her shit. She's, she's going to. She's going to. She's already shown inclinations towards losing her shit. Right. Things like, that. like when she gave her. When she gave her speech on primary night after her brutal loss. Um, and she started to. I mean, she's talking about unity while at the same time talking about the personal attacks that she suffered during the campaign. Yeah. Forgetting the fact that she, uh, I, I'm saying that she lied about Bernie Sanders. The, right. That's the assumption we right, have. The way that she lied about Bernie Sanders, and then she's talking about the unfair personal attacks and the distortions of the truth that she suffered during the campaign in New Hampshire and Iowa. Um, I don't think that I, I don't think that she has the temerity. I, I don't I don't think that she'll be she could beat Trump. I don't think so. I don't think she's got the intestinal fortitude to deal with the kind of crap that he's going to throw at her. Is what it boils down to. And you have to understand that there's going to be a portion of both moderates and far lefties that if she does lose her shit and just turns around and says, you're a real fucking asshole. If she were to say something like that on live television, when he called her Pocahontas, that is going to move her up in the esteem of a number of people. But I think it's going to lower her esteem in an equal yeah. number of people because you're a, if you're looking for the top shot, top slot, top president of the United States, the, the person whose finger is on the button and you're going to lose your cool like that when someone says something that is honestly a fairly obvious jab. Yeah. There's going to be enough people that look at that and go, mm, mm, no, not, no, no, not doing that. I just, so, I, I, I just don't see how with the exception of maybe, maybe one or two, maybe one of one or two. Um, I could see Tulsi Gabbard being able to deal with it simply because, like, as we've mentioned, she is a combat veteran. Right. And something that people don't realize is that when you've, when you've been in a life and death situation or when you've been in a situation where someone's life is depending on, on you, their lives are literally in your hands, nothing else frightens you after that nearly as much. I mean, you have you can have psychological damage like PTSD and things like that. Right. I'm not saying you know anyone's immune to that. I'm just saying that your perspective on what's going to cause you to lose your shit goes up yeah. in a way that people who have never had to deal with yeah. anything like that yeah. cannot understand, and literally cannot. They're incapable of understanding that. Yeah. Unless you've been in that situation, you don't. Which is why. What's his name? Howard Dean. Until the Howard Dean scream, he he was a he, good, solid candidate. Yeah. He was a doctor. He'd been in that situation where people's lives were depending on him. He was not going to get rattled on a stage, on a debate with anybody. Right. But 
then he decided he needed to scream like a banshee, and those were bad optics. It's bad. It's bad all around. Um, and I'm, I just keep looking at... I just keep looking at these candidates and looking at them in the rearview mirror now that the New Hampshire primary is over. Right. If I was a Democrat, I would be very scared and very concerned. I really would. Because you look at somebody like Bernie Sanders, they're going to hound Bernie Sanders. They, the mainstream media, especially... hounding that guy. Because the thing is, is that they hate him for what he, quote, did, quote, unquote, to Hillary Clinton in 2016. Right. Okay. And they look at somebody like Bernie Sanders, who is, his policies are going to be bad for their advertisers and bad for their advertisers' bottom dollar. They look at somebody as as Bernie Sanders as somebody who is going to turn this country around in the ways that are not going to benefit the super rich, including themselves, the millionaire talking heads on these, on these talk shows. Um, there's a lot of the people who will support socialist things as long as it applies to someone else other than them. Think, yeah, when and that is why, honestly, socialism fails. It's not because of any other reason other than good old fashioned human yeah. greed. Yeah. So, um, do you want to talk about Roger Stone really quickly? Because I think that Roger Stone is probably one of the biggest news items that people are not talking about right now. Yeah. Let's, uh, okay. Let's, Let's dive in, baby. Let's dive with let's dive in with Roger Stone. Before we get crazy go nuts here, who is Roger Stone? Roger Stone has written some of the most important books on American politics that you're not reading. Roger Stone wrote one of the definitive books on LBJ and how LBJ was partly responsible for the death of Jack Kennedy. Looking past how. Lyndon Johnson and Lyndon Johnson's office planned every aspect of John Kennedy's visit to Dallas, including the last-minute changes to the, the to the quote parade route that JFK took through Daly Plaza. There are a lot of things about LBJ that really should concern you, and in retrospect, in hindsight, you look at how. Lyndon Johnson overturned some of Jack Kennedy's policies almost immediately after Jack Kennedy was assassinated. Should really like raise some eyebrows. Roger Stone has also written a lot about Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon's motivations for the Watergate break-in. And one of the theses of Roger Stone's books is that yes Richard Nixon was a narcissist and a paranoid but there was reasons why he was a par- he was he was paranoid and and Richard Nixon saw that a lot of the American presidents got away with a lot of stuff and damn it he should too now does that mean that Richard Nixon should get a pass absolutely not some of his motivations for the horrible things that he did is steeped in American tradition, as it were. And I know that it sounds like a crazy excuse for some of the horrible things that Richard Nixon did, especially for Watergate. But when Roger Stone breaks down, what exactly were people looking for when they broke into the DNC 
um, party headquarters at the Watergate Hotel. Yeah, that's that's something I've never understood. Why why exactly did they break in? What what, what did Tricky Dick think they were going to find there? Yeah, one of the things that Roger Stone tries to convey in his book is that Richard Nixon wanted to know how much dirt did they have on him? How much did the DNC have on Richard Nixon? Specifically, some of his past involvement in some kind of shady things. What did they think they know about Richard Nixon? Um, And there's also um, Daniel Ellsberg's and he's Daniel Ellsberg is the guy who behind the Pentagon Papers. His psychiatrist's office was broken into, and they were, you know, they whoever they were were trying to figure you know, get dirt on Daniel Ellsberg and see why did he actually release the Pentagon Papers? What was his motivations? Is he mentally ill? Well, you know, if you read what he read before he released them and the secrets that, that the government had been keeping about what was really going on in Vietnam, yeah, that would drive you a little crazy too, admittedly so. Mm. Um, Roger Stone tries to make the case that what Richard Nixon was really trying to do was to, to save his ass by exposing the other shady things that other people in the DNC and his opponents, even within his own party, were trying to pull. He was trying to save his himself by exposing others. And this is when he didn't have to go after his opponents because in this, I, I believe it was the 72 re-election he won by a vast majority yeah that's one thing that people forget uh tricky dick nixon carried such a majority that i mean it's unparalleled he carried in his re-election campaign correct me if i'm wrong on this because you're probably going to remember it better than i do he won like 49 of the 50 states it mean, would, we, yeah. we, we think you know these close elections and stuff like that what we a lot of people forget or don't realize is that when Richard Nixon ran for re-election, he was opposed and he won such a huge majority of the states that we today cannot even conceptualize how big of a victory, of a landslide fucking victory he actually did. Yeah. I'm going to read this really quickly for you. This is just from Wikipedia. So it's from Wikipedia. Take it with a grain of salt. Richard Nixon won the election by a landslide, winning 49 of 50 states. George McGovern got 17 electoral votes. Yeah, think about that. In today's world, think about that. One of the presidential candidates, one of the two primary candidates only got 17 electoral college votes. Yeah. That's it. The third party candidate got one. <laughs> right? So that's that's the guy who everyone demonizes now. He was the man right. in politics when he was he, when he was president. There were no other real viable options. 
because that's how popular he was as a president. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for us today to really kind of wrap our minds around because no one has been that popular. No one. Everyone talks about Clinton being popular and being able to cross the aisle or Reagan being able to cross the aisle. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't even hold a candle to Tricky Dick. Right. So it was, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, I mean, you, you look at the map, <laughs> you look at the, the, the electoral map and it's just this sea of red and dark red and then these little tiny blue specks um, for for McGovern. He didn't have to. Richard Nixon did not have to take the risks that he took to get the dirt on his opponents, right. because he he won so overwhelmingly. The thing right, is, weren't really a threat to him at all. The 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 one of the things that Roger Stone tries to say, and I, I have to reiterate this. Richard Nixon and Richard Nixon's a team of operatives, including G. Gordon Liddy and E. Howard Hunt. I'm going to talk about E. Howard Hunt again for a second because it's really hard to nail this down. They were looking for more than just dirt on his opponents. They were looking for a lot more. They were looking for what did they know about other things that had occurred in recent history in the United States. I bring up E. Howard Hunt because Roger Stone co-wrote a book with E. Howard Hunt's son. And the the title of this book is Dorothy, An Immoral and Dangerous Woman, The Murder of E. Howard Hunt's Wife, Watergate's Darkest Secrets. And... um. St. John Hunt wrote a previous book called Bond of Secrets, My Life with CIA Spy and Watergate Conspirator E. Howard Hunt. And in this book, St. John Hunt talks about the near-deathbed confession that his father gave him just before he passed away that he was the money man for the JFK conspiracy. E. Howard Hunt, the CIA operative, confessed to his son that he was the money man who was directly involved in hiring and paying the people who assassinated John Kennedy on November 22, 1963, Daly Plaza, Dallas, Texas. And according to... St. John Hunt and Roger Stone, one of the things that Nixon was looking for was more evidence of selected members of the DNC and in the assassination of Jack Kennedy. Why he thought that that information would be hiding in plain sight at the Watergate Hotel in the DNC headquarters is beyond me. I mean, stranger things have happened. I, you know. Okay. Now, Roger Stone has been an operative of the uh, of the GOP since at least around 1972. 
There's a great documentary about Roger Stone on Netflix that I think that if you're a political junkie, you got to see it. Get me Roger Stone. And it talks about how Roger Stone's dirty tricks have helped GOP candidates win the nomination and go on to win elections. Roger Stone knows where a lot of the dead bodies are buried, literally and figuratively. Roger Stone knows about probably every awful thing that GOP candidates have done up to and including President Trump. And Roger Stone is awaiting sentencing for the crimes that he is, I'm going to say, allegedly committed during Trump's presidential campaign. Now, one of the things that should concern people is that not only does Roger Stone know where all the bodies are buried, and he knows about all the things that the GOP has done in the past couple of years, he's also named names and said, look, I'm no, di- I'm no different than a Jim Carvel. I'm no different from all these other people who have done dirty tricks to get their people elected. I'm just better at it. I'm more famous for doing it than the other people. Right. And to be fair, he knows who his counterparts are on the other side, on the Democrat side. I mean, at the risk of people thinking, well, see, that's how corrupt the the Republicans are. The, The Democrats have their own operatives. Right. And these people and these people hang out and they and they and they drink together and they have a love hate relationship. Yeah. Now, they're best frenemies. Right. They're best frenemies. Exactly. Now, the foreman of the Roger Stone trial is a woman by Tamika Hart, and you search for Tamika Hart via Google or DuckDuckGo, and you're going to discover that she is a DNC operative. She's worked with the aforementioned Donna Brazil while Donna Brazil was the chair of the DNC. And Tomika Hart has also posted a lot of anti-Trump rhetoric on social media. Um, and she was also a DNC candidate a couple of years back. Um, Heavy.com has a great page. Tomika Hart, five facts you need to know. How the hell did this woman become the foreperson of the jury of the trial against Roger Stone? So since people have called me a conspiracy theorist in the past, and if enough people call, if you call a bird a duck enough, you're going to just assume that this person's a duck. I'm going to say this is a conspiracy theory. This is not conspiracy fact. This is a theory that Tamika Hart was put on the jury to get a conviction of Roger Stone. Which, which, is, which is a stretch, and I, I completely admit this. One of the things that I had written this morning here, and I will tell you again, that what's probably going to wind up happening is one of three things. Roger Stone is could quite possibly be pardoned by Donald Trump now that Donald Trump has survived impeachment. That would be a dangerous move on Trump's part, but it's a distinct possibility because Trump has no sense of understanding on 
the deeper political scheme. He's say what you want about Trump. He's not a deep thinker. I think he thinks deeply about certain things that he should be thinking more of when he's, well, I was going to make yeah. a, I was going to make a joke about Stormy Daniels and, 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 <laughs> and, and, um, in that case, and he, Karen he thinks deeper than he really is. He, yeah, anyway. yeah, he has some deep thoughts about, you know, real estate and, and, and what's he going to do in his next weekend at Mar-a-Lago and all like that. I, I, I wanted to crack a joke about he, he, he's a deep thinker about pro trivial things, but that, that laid flat. Yeah. Um, what, and here's what I said. And, and, um, and, and I posted this online and tell me, tell me if I go on too long, Roger Stone is going to be pardoned and this, and he's going to go back to his life as if nothing ever happened. Or he's going to be sentenced and for retribution, he's going to spill the beans and he's going to tell the media everything <laughs> behind behind uh, <laughs> jail bars, everything that he knows. He's probably, he, 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 I don't think that Roger Stone is going to go down quietly or he's oh. going to, he, or he's going to meet the same end as Jeffrey Epstein. If yeah, you think Jeffrey someone, Epstein, yeah, someone's going to suicide him. He's going to suicide himself. Well, someone's going to suicide him. Whether somebody's going, <laughs> somebody's well. going to suicide him. Yeah. Um, and Roger Stone is not the only person who has done quasi illegal or genuinely illegal things in the Washington D.C. Beltway. He's yeah. just more infamous for doing it. Right. His name got out for whatever reason. Um, I don't know. I, I struggle with this because that's the side of politics and the side of the political machine in Washington that is about as distasteful as it could possibly be. It's also, to some extent, a necessity of politics. Politics, going back to the, the dark ages, has always had actors in it like Roger Stone for kings, for um, presidents, for prime ministers. They, everyone throughout history has had their equivalent of a Roger Stone. Yeah. They all have. Um, that's just a fact of politics. Um, I can't state a, any proof of that, but... If, if you look at the way human beings act and the way politics works, it just makes sense. It just makes sense that there's, there is that element to it. Yeah. You know? So I don't like that element. I really don't. I don't like people like Roger Stone. I don't like the people, you know, the left-hand man, right. as it were, of any political candidate. I, I prefer... I mean, I know certain things have to be done to preserve a nation, but I wish spying and all of that duplicity wasn't part of it. However, it just is because that's human nature. That's yeah. who we are. We're a duplicitous breed of people. Right. Um, well, that's also one of the reasons why I get frustrated when people start denigrating the United States or a particular president for something that has been done by every other country out there or any other political candidate out there. 
You can pick on Trump all you want for being a narcissistic asshole, because he is. But you can't pick on him for um, making some questionable choices and putting questionable people in place because of nepotism or whatever, because you can't name a political candidate or a political right. person who hasn't. Yeah. Right? That's just part of the game. And I think most people, when they think about it, realize it's as tasteful as it is. It is part of the game. So it, yeah. you, know, you just kind of live with it. It is part of it. It is a part of politics. And you are going to have bad operators. And you're go you are going to have scumbags who right. are going to do awful things for your good guy. Right. And if you don't think that past presidents have done shady things behind the scenes in the last 55 years, you are sadly mistaken. Yeah. Even Jack Kennedy had done oh, things had, had done things that were distasteful. He's infamous for his affairs that he had. Well, I'm not popular of which is with Marilyn Monroe. Right, but I'm not talking about just having affairs. I'm talking about oh, yeah. co covert operations to screw small governments in other countries. Yeah. I mean, Eisenhower did horrible things, all in the yeah. name of, of uh, American interests. Right. And, you know, there's there's this fairy tale fantasy that one day we'll have a president that doesn't resort to such things. But unfortunately, again, that's part of human politics, not a part of U.S. politics. Do you really think that if Bernie Sanders gets into office, Bernie Sanders is going to have operatives that are going to do some horrible things? Yeah, I honestly do. Whether or not they tell him or not, it's going to happen under his watch. Sure. He may not like it. He may he may say, I don't want to hear about it, but it's going to happen because it has to. In order for the president to be well-informed, we need to have spies. Sure. And the president, anyone like Nancy Pelosi has political operatives underneath her that let her know what's going on within the Republican caucuses and behind closed doors on the Republican side. Oh, I bet Mitch you. McConnell I, has some political operatives under him that do the exact same thing. It is part of politics, human politics. This is not a U.S. thing. This is a human thing. I bet you Nancy Pelosi has somebody spying on Donald Trump and tells Nancy everything that Donald Trump does, including what he had for lunch today. Oh, of course. Of course. And there's just as, you know, as I'm saying that, there's also people who vet that so that Nancy's not burdened down with, or, or anyone is not sure. burdened down with the minutiae of useless information that goes along with yeah. that level of surveillance. Right. But I mean, but there's no doubt in my mind that that exists with right, Hollywood. Right. And um, people can say that that's a conspiracy theory, but, you know, fuck, read a book. Absolutely. And speaking about reading a book here, I'm just going to give a quick plug here to one of the books written by um, Donald Jeffries, Hidden History, an expose of modern crimes, conspiracies, and cover-ups in American politics. If you're a conspiracy theorist, this 2014 book is right for you. Um, his perspective is slightly different than mine, but it's one of those books that I think that it's like it's important. Um, I, he's, I don't think that he's quite as sensational as a Jim Mars, um, but, but he's up there. 
I, I do believe that he is definitely up there as, as an author of conspiracy theory books that you need to read. Um, but I, w- I think that what I will... I, I'm going to close the show out this week um, and make a prediction. Either, oh. either Donald Trump is going to pardon Roger Stone and he's going to use the excuse of the impeachment being a part of um, an unfair witch hunt against him. And he's justified in, in pardoning Roger Stone because Donald Trump was acquitted of all charges in during the impeachment process. Or something awful is going to happen to Roger Stone. Yeah, I don't see Roger Stone as being someone... People who operate in that world, I don't see them as being, ironically enough, they're not the one who's going to take some, take a hit for the team. If, they, if, they are, if they're being targeted, if they're going under, you know they've placed phone calls where they're like, you have to remember what I know and what, that, yeah. what I know if it were to get out will do to you. Exactly. Which is a dangerous card to play, but that just is the personality type of people who operate in the world yeah. like that, you know? And we all know people like that because they're not just in politics in at the federal level. Um, there's people like that in your office. There's people like that, that if you think about it for a while, you can in the back of your mind say, yeah, I could, yeah, I could see so-and-so doing that. If so-and-so was in that position, it's, I'm talking about a personality type, yeah. you know? So, we all know those people. Yeah. They're all over the place. You know, they don't want any blowback of shit that they do to come back on them. Normally we call them assholes, yeah. but we all know them. they're out there. And I, I see Roger Stone as being someone like that. He's going to go to his quote unquote friends and former employers and say, look, you have got to get me out of this because I can do some really serious damage to you, your party, your cause, your campaign, your whatever. Yeah. Right. Now that means he's either going to get exonerated or get a, get out of jail free card from Donald Trump. Yeah. Or he's going to end up dead. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think it's a 50, 50 shot. I get. I I really put his odds at fifty fifty that he's going to die before he can say anything. Right. Or they're going to put him in solitary confinement and say that they're doing it for his own safety, and he won't be able to talk to anybody. I mean, that is an option. Yeah. But I don't. Today's world, I don't see that happening. Right. Because there's always some way for him to get information out. Yeah. There's always going to be a guard he can buy off, someone who has political leanings that are sympathetic to the other side that want to know what he knows. Because you got to remember the other thing, too, is the Democrat Party hates him, Roger Stone, yeah. but they want to know where those fucking bodies are buried. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't it be great for the Democrats if they could come out and say, we know Donald Trump was involved in A, B, C, D, here's the evidence. Oh, yeah. All and then it. they can just totally skip over the obviously futile impeachment process and go straight to the public with it, who will then demand yeah. 
that he's done that, except for his most ardent supporters who are going to say, Roger well, Glass are guilty of the same things. Yeah, but right. we have evidence. Right. I don't, th I don't think that Roger Stone is going to go to prison quietly. I honestly don't. I really don't. I really I don't, don't see that as being part of his personality. But if he does, if he does go quietly, and we don't hear another thing about him, um, that's because he got a sweetheart deal. Then he got a sweetheart deal. I, but I, I, I don't see, I don't see him going to prison for a very long time and and keeping his mouth shut. I really don't. Yeah. I just, he's going to be taken care of. He's he's going to be in yeah. a club fed f facility, or that's what they're going to say. He where they're going to say he is when. The truth is they'll be paying him and saying, look, you you can't say anything. You cannot be in public. You you are, as far as the world is concerned, you're dead. Yeah. You know, I could see that happening too, that kind of clandestine yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Um, and that sounds very conspiracy theorist, but we're talking politics. Well, well we're well, we're just embracing that now. I mean, we're entertaining. Yeah. I mean, the I thing mean, is, is that we entertain conspiracy theories, but we also do our best to debunk them if they think that they're BS. There's something that we used to say a lot in the Coast Guard and I, and in talking with other veterans, that's something that all veterans say is embrace the suck. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. All right, Jay. I know that I have to let you go because we are past time. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to just thank you for an awesome show. And um, it, thank you. And uh, you take care. And we'll, I, it's, I'm excited because we're publishing two episodes this week. We got our paranormal yeah, show. Pretty cool. That we're, that we're releasing on Valentine's Day, meaning today, meaning uh, February 14th. And, uh, and we got another one, uh, News of the Week. So it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a big week for us. And, and we're getting back in the swing of things. I think this is, the, this is the last New Hampshire primary show that we're going to do. This is, the yeah. last, this is the last show we are going to spend any time, unless something phenomenal happens, where they right. find a box full of uncounted ballots somewhere. In in the backwoods of New Hampshire, I, I let's face it. No one, the people in the backwoods of New Hampshire that are likely to find that are just going to go. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> we should tell somebody. <laughs> oh, fuck it, you know. Hey, I mean, yeah. Hey, listen, man. I know this guy. He, he has a podcast, and there are like dozens of listeners all over the world. I bet. <laughs> I bet you. Yeah. If we if he pay. If we ask him to pay us fifty dollars, we'll give him all these stuff ballot boxes. <laughs> I well, bet. I bet so. Fifty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> holding out on me. <laughs> hey, Carol, how much do we have in that change jar? <laughs> yeah, we probably have fifty dollars worth of quarters. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We could. I thought we were saving that for Dave and Buster's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that I think that I think that this is the swan song for the uh, 2020 New Hampshire primary. Oh, yeah. I think this is the end. It was a good run, and we came, we we came awfully close to getting a big name on our podcast in we the did. in the realm we of did. politics. It's it was a good run. It was a good run. But the good news is, is that the that the um uh the 2024 New Hampshire primary season begins next April. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll be, I'll be at the Peterborough diner and just hanging out, having, having uh, some eggs Benedict with my wife. And some guy will probably walk up to me and say, Hey, uh, my name is, is 
Jeff Zuckerberg and and I'm running for president of the United States. I, can I sit down and talk to you for a couple of minutes? Yeah, sure, Jeff. What the hell? Yeah, why not? Sure. Yeah. You're picking up the check, right, Jeff? You got this, right? Yeah, yeah. Dude, I've, seen, I've seen your income. You can afford it. Yeah. There will, there, there will be, there will be presidential hopefuls. Desperate enough to come on a conspiracy theorist show <laughs> yeah. where we also talk about the paranormal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't really want to do this, but Tom, dude, you're placing like 17 points behind Snoopy. In the <laughs> You've got to do something. You got to get on the map. <laughs> you got to talk to the funny guy with a strange hat and the goatee. Come on. You're right. <laughs> Kiss the goatee. Kiss the goatee. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, it's so totally like that. Yep. We're just realists. We're, yep. We know exactly where we are on the food chain in the pecking order. Yes, yes, <laughs> so, yes, we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, we do. And, and and you know what? Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I think that I think that we've learned a lot of lessons from um, uh, the two uh, the uh, 2020 New Hampshire primary. And uh, we're going to put those lessons to work and see if we can uh, make some things happen between now and the next, the next yeah. election cycle. Hopefully, so, absolutely. So, all right, Jay. All right. Thanks again. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show with hosts Jason Cousineau and Eric Renderking-Fisk. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our past shows, show notes, and recent articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, Chronicle at google.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and show topic suggestions. We might even read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page patreon.com slash Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt or coffee mug. Terms and conditions apply. And thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash Chronicles. 12.5% of every sale goes directly into keeping this podcast and all the others on the Fedora Chronicles network on the air. That's Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme song for this show is Royal Flush by All of Music. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is edited and produced by Eric Render King Fisk. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2019-2020. All rights reserved. On behalf of Jason Cousineau, this is Eric Renderking Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chin up and your fedora on. <laughs>